Hey everyone, my name's Nicole. I'm Brenna. I'm Reed. And this is FitClick. This is a podcast where we talk about fan fiction. In a regular episode, um, each of us will bring one fan fiction to talk about, but this is not a regular episode. This is Brenna's birthday episode. Pew, 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 pew. Yay. Um, following sort of last year's format, um, the birthday host gets to bring three fan works of any sort. It's supposed to be totaling under 100,000 words. Brenna did go a little bit over the word count, but yeah, I guess sorry. we can allow it. It's too late now. <laughs> it is too late. We've already read it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Brenna, do you want to tell us what your three fan works are that you've brought for your birthday? Absolutely. Um, I'm hyped about them. The first one is Victory Condition by Astolat. This is a fic for the Transformers media franchise. Um, the pairing is Megatron and Optimus Prime. It's an excellent Orca fan fiction, and we will have a special guest joining us for the discussion of it in just a moment. Um, the next fan work is a Riverdale fan vid set to Runs in the Family by Taylor XOXO on YouTube. Um, I... Yeah, I don't even know how to put this one into words. We'll get to it uh, later in the episode. And the third fic is A Month of Sundays by Kelfin. This is a hockey RPF fic uh, for the Colorado Avalanche players, Eric Johnson and Gabriel Landeskog. So on brand, as always, I think for me, um, and I'm really hyped to get into these with my co-hosts. No dreary, but you are evening it out with like yeah. another Astolat pick, so I think that's okay. And, and I, the Riverdale fan The Riverdale bit is pulling a lot of branding <laughs> the weight here. Yes. is the most on-brand thing I think I could have brought. Um, but yeah, Ficklets, I did it. Like, I knew it was going to be Victory Condition, and I knew it was going to be the Riverdale fan vid, and then I went around a lot about the third choice, and it was sort of down to a month of Sundays, um, a dreary fic, or I really kind of wanted to bring this Destiel cowboy fic, which would have been really on brand, but it alone is like 90k. And so that plus victory condition would have really gone over. So um, I had to, I had to not choose that one this time around. Yeah, peek behind the curtain fic. Let's a little bit less time to read this round than we usually do because we're trying to get our recordings in ahead of the holidays. Uh, so hey, 2023, how you doing? Uh, we are super not there yet. But we hope you're having a great one so far. If you are in our Discord server, uh, you may have seen Brenna was doing... I don't even know where this came from. Brenna was doing a fun little thing where Just she was heart, pairing... <laughs> um, she was pairing uh, a fan fiction with a little treat or snack or some other type of consumable thing that fit the vibe of the fic. Like a little pairing, if you will. Yeah, it's what um, I would recommend yeah. consuming while reading. Yes. Um, and we thought it would be fun to do the same thing for Brenna's birthday picks where the three of us could all talk about what we would bring as pairings for Brenna's respective fan works. I am realizing as I'm speaking, I did, um, slightly misunderstand the assignment. I think it's going to be fine. Really? <laughs> what happened? No, it's fine. It's You'll see. It's a very simple assignment. <laughs> it's pretty simple. It's yes. one of our simplest assignments we've given each other in a long time. It's true. Well, <laughs> but it's I'm, okay. I forgive you. I was about to be like, I'm not mentally well. But well, who is at this time? I mean, Amen. Seriously. 
Should I share my pairing for Astolat's victory condition? Yeah. yeah. Do we want to go fic by fic or person by person? Probably fic by fic, right? So that we can have like a robust offering mm. for the ficlets and they can choose whatever they want to mm-hmm, consume mm-hmm. alongside their reading. Because I know they all read every single story yeah. or consume every fan work that we bring. So we'll make that a bit more And enjoyable. consume every snack that we recommend. For exactly. <laughs> well, we haven't recommended that many, so now's their no. chance. Um, okay, so for victory condition, I recommended, um, you can do this as a cocktail or a mocktail in old fashioned. Um, mm. And a single deviled egg. I I have to be honest I don't really have an explanation for this it came to mind in like four seconds and I was like this is what I'm going with I feel like with everything on this pod these are not pairings that I've necessarily sat down and like thought about in depth as if I was like I don't know a sommelier or something (laughs) I am it's it's just the gut reaction (laughs) yeah so this is something that you could consume I just feel like okay actually I can tell you why a little bit I chose these because I was imagining being at like a poetry slam and then Megatron is at the mic and I was like what would I want to be consuming (laughs) while watching that and it was an old-fashioned and a singular deviled egg um yeah my pairing for victory condition was mcdonald's french fries and a mcdonald's coke Um, (laughs) how how could you say this to me brenna now i want mcdonald's french fries and mcdonald's coke my reasoning for this is that like drive-through fast food um soda is the fizziest and best soda you can get and it makes my brain feel fizzy in the same way that like this thick makes my brain feel fizzy and this thick also just like made me feel feral and out of my gourd and like i just i think i'd really enjoy having like a fizzy cold soda along with that feeling um and like my first joking pairing was motor motor oil and like <laughs> I don't know. For some reason, that went too soda for me. No, I see it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so here's the way that I did this incorrectly. Um, My gut vibe was not to think of like a food or a beverage or whatever that would go well while consuming the fan work, but rather like what kind of food or beverage does the fan work make me think of? Like Mm, if it were a food, what would it be? So it's a little bit different. Okay, that's not that bad. I thought you were doing something really weird. No, no, no. Just like, I was like, ooh, I don't know that I'm recommending these for you to consume while you read these, but... Well, I feel um, like both is kind of fine. Like, it's just, it's whatever you're vibing with. Yeah. So what I was thinking was, my first thought was like, a meal that takes a very long time to cook. So like something like a stew or whatever, like an overnight... Listen, these robots have been simmering for 8 million years in their war. And similarly, you've got to be simmering your meal for at least eight hours. Um, so I think like a stew, but it's like, it's something that seems like simple on the surface, but then it's Overnight like... Overnight oats. No, that's, oh. that one's pretty bad. <laughs> because what I was about to say is that a stew has like, it's robust. It's got flavors and complexity and depth and so Peanut many different butter, things. Chia you can... seeds, slivered yeah. almonds. <laughs> Anyway, Ficklets, my recommendation is a stew, not overnight oats. Thank you. <laughs> okay, thanks. Thanks, Reed. Yeah. I do um, also want to mention that our uh, guest for Victory Condition, a friend of the pod, Avery, who will be joining Avery. us shortly, did also submit um, a pairing for this fic. And I hope I get this right. I believe it w- I didn't write it down. <laughs> Where yeah, where was this submitted? Um you you had left the call, Reed. Yeah, you had <laughs> Well, that was right um, after you were like, fuck you guys. I yeah, think yeah, it yeah. was white wine and uh-huh. uh, like a robust, chunky bread um, with Ooh. olive oil to dip it in and maybe some Ooh. Kalamata olives on the side as well. You nailed it. 
Great. Okay. Good pairings there. Um, okay. For the Riverdale video, I would recommend uh, to go with the idea of like Betty's family looking really like great and put together on the outside, but being a bit uh, too much of a, of a good thing, if you will. Uh, a Shirley Temple with grenadine and a fancy tea cake with a lot of fondant. I wanted things that were like so sweet they were almost inedible. <laughs> Sorry mm. if you're actually going with these. But that was my plan for this one. No, I really like that. Um, yeah, I feel like now I should have done like cherry pie or something, but I didn't. Um, I did a hot fresh pretzel with like the mustard or like beer cheese dip and then an alcoholic cider, like a cold crispy cider. Nice. It's making me hungry. I went in a similar-ish direction to Nick. Okay, my my first actual genuine gut reaction was like slime, like when slime looks edible <laughs> and you want to eat it so bad, but you know if you put it in your mouth, it that, actually works no, on TikTok. Like that. Or like those people on TikTok who make the candle wax melts, but they make them look like food, Yeah, which I've had to block all of those accounts because I find them horrifying. But like... Or like the dice that everyone's like, oh, crunch. And I'm like, no, 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 Yeah, like when our friend got a set of miniature dice and I held them in my hand and I went, you have to take these back because I'm going to put them in my mouth. Anyway, the actual food pairing I thought of, um, similar-ish vibe. A cake, but specifically a cake from hit Netflix Netflix show, Is It Cake? Yes. Where, which is not actually a hit Netflix show. but just No, it is. It's a hit. It's a hit in our hearts. Critically acclaimed. It is a hit in our hearts. It's okay. It looks like something on the outside. Pick whatever you want. Like a paper bag, maybe like a wooden goose. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, it looks like something. And then (laughs) you cut into it and it's something else entirely. And also specifically, it has to be a cake with many layers. And I need all of the layers to be like different flavors that are really, really whack. Like, cake flavors you have never heard of but they somehow like work really well together so you're like you cut into this again i'm gonna say a wooden goose because now i think that's kind of funny and then you you reveal it to have like three layers and they're all different colors this is this is the vibe i think of Mm -hmm. yeah and if you try to eat the whole cake you do make yourself a little bit sick absolutely you have the admiration of your peers for doing so yes (laughs) cool uh for our last fic a month of sundays i have recommended an ipa and cornbread yeah I don't really need a reason. No, that's, yeah, that's banger. Um, This fic gets very Christmassy towards the end. Like, the whole last chapter, basically, is set around Christmas time. So I went for spice cake and hot chocolate. Um, Unfortunately, the only thing I could think of was an unseasoned chicken breast and a sweet potato, which is a joke that doesn't even make sense here because Nathan McKinnon is even in this He's, like, not, he's in high school. <laughs> but that is, like... I was going to say canonically all he eats. That's not true, but he doesn't like anything with flavor. It's basically canonically what yeah. he eats. Um, and I kind of couldn't get myself off that train, so I guess that's what I'm recommending anyway. No, that's really Great. funny. I Thanks, enjoy Rick. it. You're welcome. Reed almost recommended slime. Now let's talk about Optimus Prime. Brenna? <laughs> The first fic that we are discussing this week is Victory Condition by Astolat, a beloved author here on FitClick, and especially um, anytime I'm in charge of bringing a fan work. Um, this fic is one of their Transformers works, so it's about the fandom Transformers Generation 1. Um, I don't know anything about the Transformers Generations, but that's okay. The relationship here is Megatron and Optimus Prime. Um, this fic basically takes place after these two characters have been in some sort of, like, cave-in, deep underground the surface of their home 
uh, Transformer planet and are trapped in this very small space together where they uh, bond emotionally and in other ways um, and then eventually are rescued by their respective, uh, let's see, Autobot and Decepticon groups um, and then kind of come to some sort of like peace arrangement not to give you too many spoilers for this fic that was the ending though so you know <laughs> so i guess just to give you spoilers for this spoiler fic spoiler warning like, this is not a you know that this is not a spoiler free podcast you know what you're getting into coming over here um i love this fic i read it for the first time many years ago um and was like i literal i've seen the first transformers movie and that's it i was like i kind of know what a transformer is but like I don't know any of the lore. I don't know any of the relationship between these two in, like, canon. Um, but I love Asla and I love, like, an enemies to lovers. And I love, like, a shared, a forced, con- confined space being shared together. <laughs> um, and this is just, like, a genius work of fiction. So, um, as I mentioned, friend of the pod Avery is going to be joining us for this discussion. This is a new thing we're doing on our birthday episodes, having a guest on. Um, and they've also been campaigning very hard for us to bring this uh, fic to the pod. So I figured it was the perfect time to do this fic and to have someone as a guest here. So before we get into my co-hosts and uh, guests' reactions here, um, for content warnings, um, the biggest ones would probably be like the kind of claustrophobia and panic that they experience and then also there are some descriptions of violence i figure this is pretty canon typical um i wouldn't exactly know uh and then also past trauma especially on megatron's side he's been through some stuff that poor guy um i say about a a war criminal but you know (laughs) that's how it goes sometimes um all right so this is normally where i open it up for my co-host's opinions on a fic um which one of you, including guest of the pod, Avery, would like to go first? I would love to jump in. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Long time listener. First time on the pod. Um, <laughs> Ficklets who listen to the fan made episodes and or are active in the discord will know that I love this story. And in fact, I have been campaigning to have this story discussed on the pod for over a year and a half. The first ever conversation I had with host Brenna involved me being saying you should talk about the story on the podcast um i've also read it a couple of times two to four i don't actually know i also came to it with zero transformers knowledge and was completely bowled over i just think it's 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 like a big story astolat as usual takes a big swing there are a lot of different kinds of stories you could tell with transformers but astolat said can i end an eight million year war in 37k and the answer was yes and i can't wait to get into it i really enjoyed this fic it was my first time reading it though i had heard many many things uh, from friends including avery and host brenna uh, who liked it and thought it was quite good um a while back it was voice team maybe 2020 or 2021, I cannot remember, uh, some folks recorded another, like, fan-made episode that was not originated through our, like, fan base, is that the right word? Our Discord, <laughs> I should say, more it specifically. It wasn't an anniversary gift. Yes, correct. Um, and that is called Several Trucks Recording a Fit Click, I think of it often. Uh, and they did talk about Transformers a bit, and some of the things that were going on there, which was very cool, I learned a bit, and I was like, wow, people really talk about those, those trucks, <laughs> banging it out, if you will. Um, among other things, uh, in this fic, though they do bang it out a bit, I was particularly impressed by the philosophizing that happens. I was impressed by a lot of these questions of morality and like big, deep rooted questions of 
moral compasses and the choices that we make and how we define ourselves and how we define each other in relation to ourselves and what it means to actually know somebody. There are so many interesting things happening here and you never would have expected it from the fandom, which obviously we love on this show. We love something unexpected and interesting in that way. So I'm excited to talk more about it. Yes, I too had heard about this fic via our friends, although I'd forgotten like a lot of what was said about it. And so getting to the part where it's like oh the robots have poetry and that's actually central to the fic i was like fucking of course brenna <laughs> loved this like of course uh this fic was an absolute banger unsurprising from astolat um i think avery was definitely right like big swings but like a, a good follow-through um it was so fun to see i think like familiar tropes kind of turned on their heads slightly like yeah okay you've got like trapped in a space together and like enemies to lovers but it's like trapped in a space together where you could be in that space for literally one million years and you don't need to worry about food or water or anything and all you have for company is the other person and like what do you do with that or like enemies to lovers when you've been enemies for eight million years that packs a bit more of a punch maybe than some of the other enemies to lovers out there so just like so masterfully done and like some big big questions uh I think really the examining of like the sense of self and like what is true and right and like who defines what is true and right was just so interesting and well done. What a thoroughly bonkers fic this was. Also, wow, do the robots ever bang? They sure do. And that was a thing to read mm -hmm. in my family home. Mm -hmm. In public for mm -hmm. some of us. Yep. Well, okay, but like I'm saying this as a joke, but also like there's so much more to it. It's, like, actually also very central to the fic, and it's more than just, like, the robots begging, but it is kind of funny to frame it that way. It, it is, is funny. one of many key pieces of the story. <laughs> um, yeah, I think this is a fic that takes a lot of tropes that you might have seen in fanfiction in another fandom and, like, ramps them up to 100. Um, and it seems like it's able to do that based on kind of some of the canon elements of Transformers, which... I don't know much about, but our guest knows a lot more than me. Avery, would you like to tell us some things about Transformers? Avery's Robot Corner. Yeah. Oh my god, it is my robot corner. <laughs> and you. it's also kind of my gender corner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Avery's Robot Gender Corner. Best nice. place, best place. Want to hang out here all the time. <laughs> Um, yes, I want to start by saying that I've only actually experienced two pieces of canon Transformers media. I have seen the first live action movie directed by Michael Bay in 2007, and I have seen the classic original 1986 animated Transformers movie, which is the first film version, though there were animated TV series before that. Two tiny whack um, facts about this animated movie. Um, two of the, the voice actors include... Uh, Leonard Nimroy and Orson Welles in his very last <laughs> role of his life. What? Yes. Bring out some sci-fi hard hitters here. They did. They did. They did not skimp. Weird Al Yankovic contributes a song to the soundtrack. And this movie was partly written so that they could kill off six major characters and introduce the second gen Transformers uh series because Transformers is a media franchise designed to sell plastic toys to children. That is where it comes from. It was started in the 1980s by two toy companies, Hasbro in the US and a Japanese toy company called Takara Tomei or Tomi. Um, and the whole 
plot the whole literally this came from the idea of how many plastic robot toys can we sell to children in the mid 80s and children will relate more to these toys if they have names and personalities and storylines and so they developed the whole animated series there have been many and also many comic book series i will not get into it literally all designed to make young people feel emotionally invested in these robots so that they will buy them they should have hired astolette (laughs) They should have. I was thinking, um, I think people regularly talk online about how fandoms, like, if a fandom develops around a property, it often brings what the fans feel like are missing from the show is like whatever, you know, gets like explored most in fandom. So sometimes a show that it is very um, overtly, I don't know sexy maybe gets like deep sad philosophical fic and then a kids show which is very bright and silly gets like the horniest fic you can imagine (laughs) and i feel like what people looked at with transformers were like we want to know how they reproduce and we want to know what their deep philosophical like ponderings are and this fic delivers on both of those fronts um so in the actual canon material there are two facts stated. Again, there's so many different series and there have been so many different writers that these are kind of back and forth a little bit. But it has been stated that Transformers have no concept of gender and that Transformers reproduce asexually. And these are sort of two facts from the canon. Fanfic writers have gone in different directions with this. But um, in general, there are kind of like two ways that new Transformers are born. And one of them is through two Transformers having something that we might call sex and producing a spark, which is a Transformer soul. But this produces a soul, but not a body. In another version, um, whoever's carrying the Matrix, which is also called the Matrix of Leadership or the Matrix of Creation, Optimus Prime, whoever is carrying the Matrix is called Prime. It's like a religious and political title, um, opens the Matrix and asks the Matrix to bless the people with new souls but either way of either one of these ways it produces a soul that is not held inside of a body so then there are different ways that souls can get put into bodies the lovely ethical affirming way is just present this new soul with resources this can be metal this can be computer chips wiring axles wheels whatever and let the soul sort of incorporate whatever it feels called to into its body and build like a perfect a body that is like perfectly designed for its personality and like what it wants to do and be in the world and then the other unethical horrible way is to shove a soul into a pre-made pre-built body for whatever function the sort of the creators of this body want it to serve generally menial labor and so this is one of the main sort of conflicts that we see in this story is that megatron and this is in the canon um also of transformers was initially built as a mining robot to do very deep level underground mining and he did not even have a name when he was built he was built and it was also part of his backstory is that he saw like one glimpse of the sunlight before he was like put deep 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 underground that's horrible and it's very bad and basically spent many years laboring in the dark thinking like how can i see the sun again and then eventually both in the canon in the story he is able to come out from the dark um but then he sort of transitions directly into a life as like fighting as a gladiator also not great but through those experiences he realizes and this is true that society is very very corrupt and he would like to do something about it which is where he starts the revolution sort of against what is the transformers government on their home planet cybertron he would like to do something about it aka lots of murder (laughs) so so much murder 
knives so much everywhere. Murder. Yeah, I would like to say if I were not named, I might name myself Megatron or something <laughs> yeah. similar. Like, what a cool hell, hell yeah. <laughs> It's a chosen name. That's there great. are reasons why so many queer people, but especially trans people, love Transformers, the franchise. And one of the reasons is about this sort of concept of like choosing your own body, but also of a body that is very modifiable. Most of the Transformers were not, or most of the Autobots were not soldiers before the war. Most of them had some sort of other job and were sort of like retrofitted with armor and weapons that they didn't initially have, but in hopes that when peace comes, that they can take those parts off of their body and return to their sort of peacetime forms um and so it's very interesting to think about just like a body that has components and can be repaired and um it houses a soul and can like match your soul but also can very much mismatch your soul there's just a lot there to dig into as a trans fan as was said a bit earlier about kind of the premise of this story a lot of it takes place underground The first, so it's technically a three chapter story, but the bulk of the word count and the bulk of the story happens in the first chapter. And a lot of this first chapter is almost exclusively dialogue and Optimus Prime, whose head we're in, thinking about his own sort of wellness, uh, his diagnostics, if you will, as robot. How am I doing? What are our odds of getting out of here? How are those odds changing from moment to moment? Uh, How are my systems doing? How long will it take me to die under here if no one finds us and the odds are looking slim? Um, It's interesting because he finds that Megatron, I guess on account of having less love in his robot body, uh, is a lot less freaked out by all of this, has been through really horrific conditions, and this is like, okay, well, if I die, I die like this, that's fine, uh, versus Optimus Prime, who's like, it has to be beautiful and glorious, uh, which is, I think, emblematic to some degree of their differences that the fic actually gets into, but one thing I found interesting is just how much of this story is dialogue, like, they can't move. What, what the hell kind of a choice is that it was done so well can you imagine as a writer being like i'm gonna write them and they can't move and they're just underground for like 20k of this story they're just gonna talk to each other uh, and it works and it totally works yeah it's ridiculous and so i think for me there is this really interesting not to again be talking about literalization um but this literalization both of depth they are literally underground and they are also literally going deep with each other and also this literalization of being trapped Like, not only are you trapped underground, not only are you trapped uh, in a location where people probably aren't going to be able to find you and you might die here, but they also, to a degree, are trapped in their roles as each other's opposites. Uh, That is such a key point, I think, in a lot of Enemies to Lovers stories. I was saying this in our pre-discussion, but I think Enemies to Lovers does not work for me if they don't believe that they're evenly matched. Uh, That feels so important. So I just thought the structure and the way that it played out was so interesting because it Every single step of the way was paralleling these not only internal things that are happening within Optimus Prime and when we get glimpses into Megatron as well, but they are also paralleling these characters' roles not only in the story but in the greater world. And I loved that. It made it so good and it made it not boring that they were stuck in that way because it was done with a purpose. I am obsessed with how this story unravels Megatron's backstory and like allows us this glimpse into what has happened to him. And I think there's so many times that fandom takes a like evil dude who's like a war criminal <laughs> and he's like, oh, ooh, ooh, my little baby. <laughs> um, and then <laughs> they like give him some tragic backstory, you know? But like 
This is not ooing a fying Megatron. This is like how, how would I? How would you even do that? I don't know. But don't t- test fandom. I'm sure they've done. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> but like this builds out a backstory that is so understandable as a reader and for Optimus Prime. Like it's, and like I think my understanding from Avery is that some parts of this are canon. Um, but I don't know like how much exactly is from canon and how much is from Astolat's mind but as it unravels you understand not only what has made Megatron into the Transformer that he is today um and like why he would have the point of view that he does but like you understand so clearly what is true to him this fic explores truth so deeply and like how much of truth is objective and how much of it is subjective from the person's experience and like I think so much of the coming together of Optimus Prime and Megatron here like in terms of like these two leaders who have so fundamentally viewed each other as having the wrong (laughs) stance on the world like so much of it is understanding where that stance came from and like these things that they both hold to be true but that they see in very different ways and then also the truths that they individually hold and like the ways that the other one wasn't able to access those truths before basically they like interface and see all of each other's memories and beliefs and stuff which is like i i'm such a sucker for fic where like you can see into another person's like mind i don't really want to happen to me but like i love dream sharing i love soul bond i love mind meld like all of that shit is so so good in fan fiction so i of course i love the um interfacing like it's amazing um yeah, so I just, I really enjoyed how we unravel Megatron's story here and how it doesn't necessarily forgr- forgive some of the atrocities that he's committed, but it just makes us understand logically why he would have viewed those as the right choice. And I think it also doesn't shy away necessarily from saying that Optimus Prime made mistakes as well. Like, we both see, we see both of them to be these flawed leaders who are trying their very best to lead according to their morals and principles and truths of this world. And they aren't really able to find a compromising point until they like understand completely each other's backstory and uh Megatron's like breaks my heart I'll get back to it later about his little his little oh and he's a little minor and I'm so upset forever and ever and ever okay ooh baby <laughs> my little Jesus. <laughs> well I think like Bren going off of what you said one thing that I really liked is yeah we get this horrific backstory from Megatron which as you said doesn't excuse his atrocities but certainly like explains his point of view um and I liked so much that Optimus was like horrified and devastated and like deeply upset by what happened to Megatron and that also is not like a Optimus Prime is upset and then a scene later they're like arguing with each other like it doesn't immediately make things like oh I get it and I empathize and like understand where you're coming from no no we have so many more days in the dark underneath this like mind shaft uh, for them to be working on it and I think Optimus's sort of progression throughout this fic of feeling bad for Megatron and understanding why he's doing these things but really feeling so distant from it to then coming around to sort of saying I understand why you're doing what you're doing And I don't necessarily think that you're wrong, but I can't like walk this path with you like fundamentally like it's it's not one I can follow. And then to even later be thinking to himself like, is is there a path he can follow that isn't Megatron's like now that he has sort of seen Megatron's truth and come to face like his own sort of um, failings is not the right word, but like 
the way that he was incorrectly viewing the past and the fact that like uh his like fallacies is the word I was looking for. Once he sort of really comes to face that, then he hits a point where he is like, I still think the things that Megatron are doing, like is doing are bad. Like I don't want to wipe out humanity. And yet, is there a better path than the one he's taking? Because at least the one he's taking is honest and fair, even if it is also cruel and harsh. And I liked seeing that progression so much. I want to talk a little bit more about interfacing because that is what this story also very much hinges on. And there is a spicy scene, readers be warned. But I think one of the things that's really important is showing when they have a physically intimate scene, how that is what the comparison of that to when they do interfacing, which is plugging literally cords into each other's bodies so that they can be in each other's computer brains and how vastly more intimate it is to be in someone's mind than to be in someone else's body um and that there's probably no way that they ever could have achieved this level of understanding or ended the war without having this opportunity to peer into each other's like literal cores into their souls into their memories into their choices into their past and see what yeah the foundation of each other's truths are and i think that's also when we were talking about the structure why this story works and is so smart is astolat i presume thought like how could this war end and it's these two two leaders have to see each other like eye to eye at the very deepest level deeper than what humans can achieve because we cannot plug our brains into each other um yet yes terrifyingly um <laughs> and put them down into the dark i do think that there are things it is easier to say in the dark. And I'm coming at this more from like a cozy, like sleepover point of view, those type of things that you can maybe admit to a friend when you're it's three in the morning and you the lights are out and you can say something more vulnerable and intimate than you would feel comfortable saying in the light of day. Um, so put them in the dark, like and close them in this space and then also lead them through dialogue and through these discussions and the poetry, which hopefully uh, Nick will get to soon um, to the place where they're willing to interface with each other. So they can see this core fundamental truth of what has led to all these choices. And from there begin to enlarge their own understandings of the universe to encompass the other's points of view. Hell yes. I'm here to get to the poetry. First, I quickly do want to say that another thing that I think about when we talk about those like intimate moments where it's easier to talk to someone when you're not looking at them is like a road trip, especially like the last mm. couple hours of a long road trip. And it's like mm. starting to get dark and you're just like sitting and chatting. Um, and so I do wonder, like, could you tag almost any Transformers fake road trip? Because cars. <laughs> just food for thought. Cars. Yeah, just something to think about. Aside yeah, thanks, that, <laughs> Yeah, sure thing. Um, I do want to talk about the poetry. So Megatron is a poet. Megatron is the voice of Tarn. Optimus Prime is a huge voice of Tarn head, if you will. Uh, big fan. <laughs> a fanboy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> what? No, please. I will also put in here, as far as I know, this is the big original Astolat piece. I have never seen Megatron being a poet in any other version or in any of the uh, the Transformers wikis that I read before this episode. So I, yeah, as far as I know, this is an Astolat invention for this story. Yeah. But if I'm wrong and there's more stories about this, please link them to <laughs> yeah, me Yeah, let immediately. us know if it works, please. It's really important. Um, okay, yes. So Megatron is a poet, Optimus Prime is his fan, and we get to hear several lines of poetry throughout the fic itself in the first chapter. Um, and then I guess like the, the, I mean, the epilogue is sort of this like, not epic poem, but it's quite a long poem by Megatron. 
And then the last chapter is sort of notes on trying to translate Transformers poetry and does include that long poem along with some other sections. Um, so it's so fascinating. I Avery asked me yesterday during pre-discussion what I thought about the poetry. And my primary thoughts are, I think it totally serves the purpose that it needs to in this story. I think it reads like poetry by someone who writes a lot of prose. <laughs> um, I don't, I have no idea. Asked a lot. I don't know anything about your poetry background. Uh, it seems like prose is your preferred mode. <laughs> and that makes sense based on the way that these poems are structured. Um, I think that they are not subtle really in any way. Uh, and I don't think that they're meant to be or that they need to be to be good and interesting. And I also think that the aspect of this idea of translation adds a lot of layers to that. Uh, if you have like three poems that are all whacking you over the head with different metaphors, but you're meant to experience them because you're a transformer, uh, simultaneously in your brain with everything processing, does the space between those poems on a meta level actually reveal a lot more subtleties? We don't know. I think it was really smart of Astolat to put that in there because it adds layers that we can't possibly understand. And that totally lines up with these ideas of translation. One particularly notable piece of the poetry is Megatron calling Optimus Prime one of the quote-unquote nodding heads. The people who think like, wow, these things sound so good, but who also are not really understanding the true depth of the meaning of quote-unquote unsheathing your knife, uh, rather than like pretending that you're a good guy, pretending that the world can be good if you're continuing to go back to these same governmental structures or structures of power. Why don't we just all unsheathe our knives and start stabbing each other? Because then at least you can see who has hit you, as opposed to like walking around with your little sheet knife and then you're like eh uh, <laughs> you couldn't see I made a goblin face ficklets um, it's just really interesting because they're they're not really able to come to a middle ground while they're underground necessarily even though they do interface and they talk to each other and they're like oh like you weren't actually hiding anything this is really how you believe and I understand now how you understand it but the poetry I think really really does such a good job of helping us bridge their perspectives and how different they are because Optimus Prime does find something really beautiful in Megatron's poetry, even though the poetry is like a call to war that is disguised as a call for courage or for bravery or things that are a lot more palatable. So I loved it. I would totally recommend checking it out. I mean, even if you don't have the whole thick in you, that's okay. Sometimes you don't. Uh, chapter two is an epic poem. You will spoil yourself for quite a lot of things if you read it, so like, just read Victory Condition. But if you want to get a glimpse of what I'm talking about when I say it's like very plain language, it's very straightforward. There are some metaphors and similes, but they're very much like... I don't want to say like basic or simple necessarily, uh, but they are not necessarily... There's not a lot of like double entendre happening here. <laughs> uh, the poem means what it means. It can be taken in different ways, but um, there's not a ton of illusion or anything like that either, in part, again, because we don't know Transformers culture because we're just people um, in the world and not Transformers, unfortunately. So yeah, those are those are the bulk of my poetry thoughts, I think. I, c I could go on, but I will not <laughs> for the sake of time. Nick, off of what you were saying about Optimus being like one of the quote unquote nodding heads, one of the bits of the story around poetry that really struck me was where Megatron is kind of like goading Optimus. He's like, oh my God, you're such a fan. Like, what's your favorite? Like, tell me what your favorite is. And Optimus quotes the line, we are always lying when we say here is all that I can give. And Megatron is like, you don't understand that at all, do you? Like, you think it's about, like, the courage to go on or something like that. And Optimus is like, I understand it. Like, maybe you're wrong. And Megatron is like, I, I literally wrote it, you clown. <laughs> He doesn't say that, but like he might as well. He calls him a clown at a different point, though. So like <laughs> that is not so out of true. Character. 
Um, first of all, I just really loved that exchange for like what it was, but also because when Optimus quotes that line as a reader at that point in the story, because it's it's fairly early, like I don't know, maybe in the first third, I kind of also was like, well, what what else is it supposed to be implying? Because oh, now I'm in the darkness. Hold on. No, let me back. Let me back. Okay. Reed has been subsumed into the Victorian Reed children's Reed turned room. off the lights so they'd feel more comfortable sharing vulnerable thoughts and ideas with us. And to try to relate to Megatron and his nameless brother, Miners, who oh, so no, others no, died don't in the dark. Oh, no, no, don't put me in the dark with the Miners! <laughs> um, sorry, my, my light going off notwithstanding. Um, I would have also interpreted that line, I think, a pretty similar way that Optimus did. Um, and then understanding much later, like what Megatron meant by it, and also getting the sort of dual, like be- before Optimus was Optimus Prime, he was Orion Pax, and he was, I think, Avery, you said like a, like an archivist, some kind of scholar, and so the imagery of like all of these like scholars and all of these people who get to live on the upper rim and the surface and get all of their nice sunlight, like reading these poems and thinking it's about bravery or courage or nice things. And then all of the people in the underlayers, the people that Megatron is actually writing to, understanding what he's meaning, knowing what he means when he says, like, unsheathing the knives or what he means by that line that Optimus completely misunderstood. Like, it, that just really bowled me over. Because, like, I, I too was going on a similar journey that Optimus was going, although with less, like, deep self-introspection. Like, I wasn't changing my whole worldview because I'm not an 8 million-year-old robot. I guess older than that. I'm not a robot who's been fighting a war for 8 million years, like, based off of my own, like, ideas of like uh moral justice and truth but thanks for clarifying Rita. Appreciate yeah you're I welcome sure actually <laughs> <laughs> i was pretty sure oh you know what would have been such a good intro if we could transform oh, into a car tr- what car would we be yeah what our would your trans- little transformer sonas <laughs> what would your transformer sona be it'd be a little jet plane on a fly around Okay, well, there's. I think we found out that there are like dinosaur transformers, and I don't know that I want to be a dinosaur transformer, but I do find that kind of fun. I've, I'm gonna have to think about this. I'll come back to my transformer sona later. Anyway, this all to say, I too was a little clown like Optimus, who would not have understood Megatron's poetry without getting to sort of secondhand see the glimpse into his mind that interfacing gave. Yeah, so to get into even more spoilers for this fic, I do want to explore a little bit the backstory of Megatron that we get because. It's so important here. Um, We basically learned that uh, he was a nameless miner sent way down below the surface to uh, mine these like really, really rare bits of ore. Um, And he has four other miners who like work with him and a bunch of their like sensory inputs and like the curiosity and uh, like the curiosity, I think, um, circuits of their brain have been dampened so that they will not think too deeply about their situation yes that's they're exactly getting fed, it. like propaganda but they can't even like hear it because their brains are so scrambled yeah so they really basically live to just kind of happily tunnel around and collect these bits of ore that give them like little jolts of satisfaction when they collect them and to like rescue each other um if one gets stuck um and they don't know anything different and then megatron's body gets damaged and he's sent to get repaired and they forget to turn back off his curiosity dampers. And he basically decides, uh, actually, I don't want to go back down there. I now have an understanding of the surface and I want to stay up here. And something that's really interesting to me about this fic is that the intro notes say it's hard to walk away from Omala's if it hasn't been built yet. But I, I feel like I get that. But I feel like it's even more complex than that. Like this fic is definitely not supposed to be like uh, like a one-to-one comparison of omelas or anything like the society up above is not the like 
uh, utopic society that is represented in Omelas, but it does very much explore this thing of like the people up top are sort of willfully letting some smaller number of people suffer down below so that they can stay happy. I mean, it's the class, it's classic, you know, this is what science fiction explores so many times over. Um, and the, the people who are probably at the very, very bottom of this are the five miners, one of whom was Megatron. Um, and we can kind of see them as a parallel for, for the child. People don't really know that they're down there, but I think people have an understanding that there are like laborers who are in terrible conditions. And again, these are like very, as Avery said at the beginning, like these are transformers who were not like ethically made they did not get to create their own bodies and make choices about that they were just shoved in and all their external stuff was turned off um and so a lot of this is basically like kind of saying okay what if that kid in omelas was like i'm not gonna walk away i'm gonna come up and murder you all (laughs) and take (laughs) over um because you put me down there and i didn't even know what sunshine or love was um and i am kind of obsessed with that and um towards the end like a lot of this is like both Optimus Prime coming to understand like Megatron's point of view and really understand like this isn't just a facade you're putting on like I understand now why you believe this and what your truth and like core perception of the world is but it's also Megatron coming to understand that like there can be like more slightly more beautiful things in this world like like I don't want to go that far but like there are these moments of connection between him and Optimus Prime and there's a really significant moment where when they're sort of interfacing Optimus runs this like subroutine to take away some of Megatron's pain and you realize that like he had never experienced those sensations before of like a lack of pain um and towards the very end there's a bit where like it reflects back on the four miners who kind of got disassembled <laughs> I think they were actually maybe just entombed, possibly. Mm-hmm. Disassembled and entombed. It's yeah. pretty bad. Well, they, they like died as much as a machine can die. Um, and it's very sad. And there's this quote that makes me gourdless um, that says, The brothers who had been with him, who had terribly been happy with him in the dark, who had dug rubble off his crushed body and sent him up to the, into the light, and who had paid for that kindness, for that love, with death. Because in his own instinctive flaring hunger for life, he had refused to go back down to them um and i <sighs> fucking ah! tragic <laughs> yeah to be flung into the sun it makes me feel wild um yeah i wrote love and grief are the foundations of everything after that quote so jeez oh, <laughs> banger ouch mega tra- voice of tarn put that in your next poem yeah i pulled we are an army you are a bizarre collection of mechanical clowns falling all over each other somehow accidentally producing effective results a million times more often than you should and then next to it, i wrote aka fit click podcast Nick was nicer no. than me because I pulled that same line and I was like, oh, Ficklets, come get your new designation. <laughs> so well, so yeah, there is a lot of humor in this story that is um, there. Are, there are very funny moments, which I think are probably a, partly a reflection of like the honestly general lightness and quippiness of the fact that this is an animated children's TV show and the source material. But then Astolot comes in and goes, Megatron has chronic pain and has never felt good in his body a day in his life and if he tries to sort of like shock optimus with pleasure optimus shocks him with like gentleness and comfort and yeah giving him this computer routine that will sort of like ease all of the pain and tension of the fact that he rebuilt a body that was meant for mining into a body that was meant for war and has never felt comfortable in it ever that is 
a very like yeah. ah, there's a lot shattering gourd shattering moment um of the fic i would also love to talk about the kind of like end uh plot reveal um which is after um the two characters interface and then it turns out through that their distress signal is boosted and a mixed team of decepticons and autobots come and dig them out and rescue them and bring them back up to the surface of the destroyed war-torn cybertronic planet um optimus is like a voice from the matrix like tells him like we need to go to like the um ancient like protected room where the senate used to have meetings and a previous prime sentinel prime had his desk we need to go there and he doesn't really know why but he leads this sort of mixed group of transformers all the way into this ancient sort of preserved government building um and what they find is the desk of the cent- the prime who was the head of the government during what's called the golden age which was 17 million years of peace but peace that slowly became more and more corrupted as more and more um transformers like were disadvantaged and were pushed under as they built more layers over the planet which pushed more and more people underground and resources began to run thin and again sort of the late stage capitalism that we live in now where there's like a few billionaires at the top and the rest of the people just like scrambling to survive at the bottom um so they find his desk and they watch a couple of his recorded journals and one of the things that they learn is it was the matrix that he was carrying was telling him you have to give up power this isn't right this is not the way our society should be and he refused to give up the matrix and instead came up with a plot to build a second matrix and that is why he needed this very very rare ore and built the miners including megatron to to mind this very rare ore because he was trying to build a second matrix and And recorded his most like raw and vulnerable moments like wow hashtag real hashtag emotional (laughs) (laughs) authentic we're talking about authenticity um anyway so they watch these recordings and then they recover the an almost finished sized sample of enough to build a matrix it was missing just like a few maybe grams and it's just very ironic because it's like this prime built Megatron and the miners to try to avoid his fate of giving up the matrix. And one of those miners came out of the dark and is the man who they're the, the robot who <laughs> literally ripped him apart and stomped on his components and murdered him. Um, and good and, for Megatron and good yeah, for him. Truly. That guy. Just I don't probably know why I kept it. imagining Sentinel prime as like a human man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just realizing that he definitely wasn't. Yeah, like he was just definitely now. a transformer. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes way more sense. <laughs> Nick, there are no humans on Transformers. <laughs> no, yeah, why would there um, be? I don't think there are humans who could live for 17 million years. <laughs> there are, there no. are no dogs just on the moon. Like a dude. And there are no humans on Cybertron. Why not? Um, uh, anyway, so and then Optimus gives this the ore to Megatron and also the blueprints to build a second matrix. And it's like, this is horrible. This shouldn't have been done to you, but this is sort of like the gesture towards reparations that I can make is that this ore that you slaved for and that your fellow 
minor brothers died for should be yours. And it turns out that Megatron has the last few missing grams and he has enough to build his own matrix. And at that point, the characters um, separate and they don't see each other for quite a while in the timeline of the story. But I just love this scene. It's so, to me, poetic. Um in, in almost like the poetic justice sense that it, this is a tyrant who in trying to escape his fate instead built the instrument of his own destruction. And it's just very like, dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, I love dun. it so much. Yeah. So this was our exploration of Victory Condition by Astolat, a fic discussion that's been a long time coming. I would highly, highly recommend this. And I think as proven, you do not need to be a Transformers fan to read and enjoy this. This just a magical work of fan fiction and science fiction. Um, so I really enjoyed getting to talk about this for my birthday. Thank you so much to Avery for Thank you, Avery. Uh, encouraging us to discuss this and for coming onto the pod to chat about it with us. Um, I've loved having you here as a guest. Um, it was just an absolute delight. Yeah, happy birthday. Thank you for bringing me on. I'm obviously obsessed with the story. I'll also shout out for listeners, there is a podfic. Um, it is not, I think it's only, I think it's in the three to four hour range. It's not a huge listen. And then also the chapter that is poetry has been podfic separately. So as if Nick said earlier, you just want to dip into the poems only. There is a podfic of that. And one last note about, I think, the sort of impact of this story is that it has 11 transformative works listed on it. And what I think whenever a story that inspires other people to write stories and write follow-on stories you can tell like it's making waves in a fandom um and some of them are further poet discussions of poetry and the, the difficulty of translating transformer poetry into english and then some of them are um uh go in a different direction but anyway you can dip <laughs> into those um and yeah please everyone read the story i need everyone to read it so that everyone can talk about it with me forever okay thank you bye <laughs> So the next fan work that we're going to be discussing this week is the Riverdale fan vid entitled Betty Cooper dash runs in the family by Taylor XOXO on YouTube. Um, this is as implied a Riverdale Betty Cooper centric fan vid set to the Matt and De Palmer song runs in the family. This fan vid is a banger and I have watched it upwards of 20 times at this point. Oh my God. <laughs> it's only yeah. two minutes and 42 seconds and it slaps every single time. Um, I think this is just a very well-made fan vid, first of all. Like, the pacing of it, the shot choice, like, everything is very, very tidy and quick, which I really appreciate about a fan vid. And then I also think, as with every, like, impeccable fan vid, the pairing of lyrics and song to what this person is trying to show through their vid is really good. I think Riverdale is is good, but if you didn't, you might say that the secret good Riverdale lives in fan vids. Um, because the fan vids are really like the prime way to consume and interpret Riverdale material, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, this definitely explores like the darker side of Riverdale and also sort of the cyclical narratives that I think this show really puts forward. Um, in terms of content warnings, I mean, because it's a fan vid, it's all canon content. If you've seen Riverdale, like you will have seen all of these shots before, but it does very much focus on the darker and more violent aspects of the show. So if you aren't familiar with Riverdale, it does include a lot of like blood and gun violence and like murder. Um, so heads up. Um, 
I'll get into a little bit more of a discussion of kind of, I guess, the plot of this fan vid in a moment. But before we get there, uh, co-hosts, what were your viewing experiences like? Okay, I'll be honest. Something I have realized about myself is that I think I struggle way more with consuming a fan vid for like where I'm not familiar with the source material than I do with a fic. I think at this point I would consider all three of us experts in reading fanfiction for material that we are not familiar with the canon of. Um, but I have a little bit less experience doing that with fan vids. And also I've mentioned this in the past, but fan vids were never a super strong part of my fandoming. So for me, watching this fan vid was, um, as ever, very technically impressive. Like Brenna said, just sort of the like composition of it. Like, I can tell this fan vidder is very talented and very good. I do struggle, I think, a little bit sometimes to pull things away from it, but I think in part it's because, like, I'm looking at a one-second snippet of a scene and I'm like, wait, wait, what? but what's but what's going on there? Because if, if that scene was talked about in a fanfiction, I would get at least a little bit more context or I could do my little thing where I like to Google everything I don't know, um, and that's much harder to do for a fan vid. So, I mean, I do, th- like, I fully get why Brenna was bonkers for this. I think specifically the bits where different verses are attached to different characters in Riverdale, specifically like Betty's friends, was like so interesting and so well done. I thought the lyric matching was just so impressive. Um, And so all of that, I think, held up really well for me. I think I just do struggle a little bit when I do not know the canon of a thing and then watch a fan vid and then I feel quite lost. Um, Unlike Nick, I am not an expert at powering through when I feel lost in things. (laughs) Um, And this is something I have learned about myself, but... I do enjoy the experience of watching it. Like, fan vids are very impressive and a very fun type of transformative work. Riding the vibe is one of my many skills. Truly. Um, Yes. I loved this. It made me feel sick, positive. Uh, Wow, Taylor XOXO, you're an artist, a connoisseur of vibes. I enjoyed it so much. Um, I've seen five or six episodes of Riverdale. Again, one of my skills is watching a few episodes of the show. Uh, And that's it. (laughs) Not because I wasn't, like, having fun. I just stopped, um, as you do. The only show I'm currently watching is Romance is a Bonus Book, which is a K-drama. Um, <laughs> which I started in April of 2020, and I am, I think, on episode four. That's. I was like, oh, did you pick this up again recently and no. I just haven't heard about it? No. no. Okay. I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I'm not ready to give up on that one. I don't think that counts as watching it, whatever. <laughs> I'm not even gonna get into this. It's all about perspective. (laughs) Regardless, I know about Betty. I know about Jughead and Archie and Veronica and Cheryl. I know about them. So I enjoyed watching this and reuniting with my friends, even though they're not having a great time, it seems like. (laughs) Actually, a really bad time. Um, I, it was so well put together. It's so snappy. It's so evocative. The show Riverdale is also just shot beautifully and the fan vidders take full advantage of that. Um, there are so many really cool and interesting parallel shots that I think are really, really great. And so getting to see all of that put together, enterprising minds like Taylor XOXO, I think consider it child's play to create a gorgeous and fascinating narrative out of the show Riverdale that I would not necessarily personally call like cohesive. <laughs> um, <laughs> though again, I haven't watched it. So maybe if I watch more, I'd be like, this all goes together perfectly. And every single leap is logical. Um, those are my thoughts. I have a lot more to say soon, but um, I am here to hype up this vid and vidder Taylor XOXO. Yeah, so if you're still listening to this pod right now and you haven't watched this fan vid or paused it yet to go watch this fan vid, I would highly recommend that you take the two minutes and 42 seconds it requires to go watch it before continuing on this discussion with us. Um, 
that is the downside to discussing a visual piece of content um, on this pod. But I think these vids are so amazing. So I want to keep bringing them. And again, it's two minutes and 42 seconds. You can do it if you have internet access. I hope you do. Um, if you don't, please. I'd love to know how you downloaded this they, episode well, to listen to. they probably downloaded it. And maybe they're, they're like, like on a plane mountains, right now, yeah. Reed. And their phone's oh, on airplane probably. mode. And like they can't access YouTube to watch this fan vid. And I understand. I understand. But if you can, please go watch it. <laughs> Reed is <understand. laughs> bougie and has Wi-Fi on their planes or whatever. Um. <laughs> okay, that's so every... Like, Nick has been on a plane and texted so much. And I'm like, how are you texting and sending photos on a plane? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's your birthday episode, so I guess you're allowed to bully me if you want. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> um... Yeah, so just a little bit about sort of the format of this fan vid um, and, like, the song that it's matched with. Each of, like, the verses is kind of, like, my friend blank, and then it sort of talks about, like, a friend a little bit and, like, their problems, and each of those parts in the fan vid correlates with one of, like, Betty's friends, so it's... Uh, it goes like Jughead, Archie, Cheryl, and Veronica. But then each of the main sort of chorus parts um, that have like I are Betty-centric. Um, so it really does feel like it covers a lot of the Riverdale characters and not just Betty, but it is sort of a Betty-centered Betty narrative TV, you by will. like, yeah, but especially by how like the song is structured is put Betty as like our I POV character. Um the song is very much about sort of like how your family has fucked you up <laughs> and like these cyclical narratives that you're trapped in with your family and Riverdale really explores that as well and this fan vid makes the most of it. Um, yeah, to Nick's point, I think like Riverdale is a show that a lot of times when you're watching it, even though it's very pretty, it's also like so campy and over the top that you often aren't appreciating the cinematography. Um, but then... I feel like fan vidders really can make the most of it, especially by pairing up parallel shots in a way that like this vid does. Um, and it's so impactful. And I really like that this one too uses both very literal shots sometimes to match the lyrics and then also uses sometimes more, I don't know if like metaphorical is the right term, but just like it sort of brings in other elements of Riverdale into the conversation by how it chooses its moments of like video to pair with certain lyrics um i just think the whole thing like i've said i've watched it over 20 times it's <laughs> banger um yeah i did write everyone's fucked up the secret central narrative of riverdale <laughs> is that a secret central narrative though? <laughs> oh, right. but like i feel like sometimes the riverdale characters it's this weird thing where they're like wow everything's bad but like i'm also fine and i'm so normal and like i'm so good you know and it's like you're not bestie but i really like that like the vids lean so heavily into that um and it's sort of like it's like, oh, this this video is like Riverdale if it was written by like Gillian Flynn or something. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, I think this also has a ton to say about like womanhood in media, which I'll get back to. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to give out like a couple shout outs to specific like visual moments in it that I found particularly like impactful personally as a Riverdale aficionado. Mm -hmm. Gore um, obliterating, if you will. Yeah, I think in terms of, like, the friend parts, Cheryl's was definitely the strongest for me, especially based on, like, what we've learned about her family in the most recent seasons. Um, it has these, like, great <laughs> shots, like, back to her grandmother and stuff, and it's like, yeah, her family is the gothic horror archetype in Riverdale, and this vid makes the most of that. Um, and then the Betty parts are just, like, it's so good. There's this part that's like, 
business runs in the family and it's like a shot of her dad her mom and then her in succession like all holding guns out and it's ah, it makes me feel feral um and then i think like one of my very favorite parts is it, it matches up with the lyric can't help where i come from and um it's like the scene where her dad at a young age like hands her a rock and encourages her to kill their family cat which is a whole thing where she's like repressed this memory and then she learns that she has a serial killer gene and she's like oh my god <laughs> i'm i'm a serial killer like i'm i can't avoid this like i'm going to kill people um and she like really reckons with basically that aspect of her family legacy and feeling like she is predestined to have like this darkness inside of her um and this this video really centers around basically betty trying to like outrun that feeling um in a way that i think is like it's so good yeah it's unreal i mean one shot that stood out for me in that similar vein around like her family and like things there's a part where it goes they try to shut me up me up me up me up i'm just singing a little bit for you um, but on one of the me-ups, which the implication is someone trying to shut her up, is, um, because you get a bunch of, like, people with their hands on her face, people hitting her, people, like, pushing her in different places, and then you get one shot of her perfect posture looking into the mirror while her mom standing behind her wipes off her, like, lipstick with a makeup remover, and I was losing it. It was so good. It's so... Wow, secret good Riverdale, you are so powerful. Sorry, secret excellent <laughs> Riverdale. Uh, you are so powerful, and there is so much here around, like, restrained feminine violence and silencing and oppression and all of these things and the cyclical nature of them that is so... How is this under three minutes? Okay, I'm fine. I just wanted to say that. Well, I'm thinking about, Nick, what you were saying last discussion with, like, how the fic does a lot of, like, literalization. Um and I feel like it's a pretty common thing in fan vids, right, to have a scene from the canon match up literally with what the lyrics are saying of the song. So, like, the bit in the song that says something about, like, they shine a bright light on him and it's um, Jughead getting abducted by aliens. Um, maybe yeah, they... he doesn't actually get abducted at that point, but... Okay, well, I'm doing my best. <laughs> he has a light shined on him by aliens. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it's one of the most, like, interesting and effective things that fan vids can do. Because I've seen it done in some, like, maybe not intentionally comedic ways. I'm thinking specifically of the, like, supernatural brighter than the sun that took every single line so literally to the point that I, like, thought it was kind of funny but still fun. Anyway, the point of this is that I think this fan vidder does it in such a way where... You get the like the literal of whatever lyric is being sung and seeing the visual, but then also, especially presumably if you've seen the show, you have all of these other layers of meaning, you have all the other context and the weight to it. And you have, um, as sort of Nick and Brenna were both saying, sort of the repetition of things like the shut me up, me up, me up, or you see all of the different scenes and versions of it. And it just sort of like builds and builds and builds. And I think it is so impressive when a fan fanfitter can, yeah, match the source material to the lyrics in a way that both like feels impactful and also implies so much more because you're not to make it sound like I'm talking about like a 2k long fic but you're doing a ton of work in a very <laughs> short amount of space it's true. like you you only have so much time to tell the story you want to tell and specifically like you only have so much of a lyric to fit x part of like the canon to and so I just think this fanvid in particular did that so so well do you think when a scene has other scenes spliced into it, like the one of her running, and then other things get spliced in. That's how Transformers experience poetry. <laughs> Maybe really that's the know. closest that we as humans will ever experience. Probably. Taylor XOXO, you discovered something. <laughs> yeah, I think something that I really enjoy about 
both this Riverdale fanfic and the one we talked about for my birthday episode last year, which was to Phoebe Bridgers, I Know the End, is that they both take the show that like is dark, but often doesn't follow through with the repercussions of putting these characters into really dark situations. Like, it's constantly having them experience agonies upon agonies and like psychological torment and murder and all of this stuff. And then they like never are like, it never really explores the trauma. I think the closest it comes is in the most recent series with Betty and Jughead at certain times, they both kind of experience some mental trauma stuff, but it like, it also never gives them a chance to like heal in any way. Um, and I like when the fan vids really lean into the like, this is effed up and these people are traumatized to hell. It's very like, Riverdale makes me laugh in that because it's very similar to if you ever watched the previous CW show, um, Pretty Little Liars, where it's like, <laughs> these girls are just in messed up situations constantly, but then they're like going to school and it's fine. <laughs> and it's like, how are you not like in therapy every day of the week like i don't i couldn't personally um have you not just like moved to a different state by now (laughs) why is this making me think of the danny phantom fic that nick brought where like all of these horrible things (laughs) are happening and he's like i have to take a math test yeah and like that's very much riverdale in like the first few seasons now they're more adults but like there's also very much this feeling in riverdale and i think i talk about this with the i know the end video as well where it's like you can't escape Riverdale in the show Riverdale like there are scenes that are set in other places like New York City but like they always feel kind of fever dreamish it's like the only place that actually exists tangibly and like kind of that our characters are real in is Riverdale and like they always get pulled back and that's where we see them at their like realist forms and that's the only kind of place that the narrative is willing to engage with them um and what I really like about this is it has all these feelings of like trying to run from something and then you get pulled back and you get pulled back and you get pulled back and like there's this feeling with the way that the music is paced and like with the shots especially of Betty at the end when she's running it's like girl you're not gonna get to where you're trying to run to it's because especially we see her kind of just from the side in profile like running 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 and you get this feeling that she's being pulled back each time to like start again kind of like she's on a treadmill and yeah. I found and that the video so is physically evocative. pulled back in between that to yeah exactly okay um ficklets we all knew this was coming but i do have to invoke once again the work of dr yanina fisher uh who works specifically in the realm of trauma stabilization um i yeah i I can feel all of you nodding along with me um one thing that she talks about and i cannot for the life of me remember what episode i talked about this in sorry so (laughs) if you remember cool if not i'll explain it again because it's i know it's been a while um The idea, basically, I think all of us are fairly familiar with the idea of a sense memory, where it's like, oh yeah, like I walked by the ocean and I smelled the salt water and it brought me back to my childhood of making sandcastles on the beach or whatever kind of childhood you had. That wasn't really mine necessarily, but if it was, um, or you know, you taste something or you see something, that sense of like, oh yeah, like this is bringing me back to a time in the past. Uh, Dr. Fisher argues that that also happens, particularly in people who've experienced quite a lot of trauma with emotions. And the brain as we know it, uh, neuroscience is definitely a field that is growing and things are changing all the time. But as we understand it, the brain does sometimes have trouble differentiating between a memory and what's actually happening in real life. So if you remember something, you may start to feel the same emotions and physical sensations as you did back when you were experiencing it. And that is really foundational to our current understanding of like PTSD. Um, So I just found it so interesting that I feel like this idea works 
the idea of feelings, memories specifically works on two levels. When I'm thinking about this video, the first level is if you have seen Riverdale like Brenna um, or like me a little bit, then as you're watching these clips come up, you might experience some of these feelings, memories, not in a trauma way. I don't think Riverdale itself necessarily would have um, traumatized you. I guess it could, um, but more just in the sense of like an actual, you're just like remembering what it felt like to watch that for the first time. Like if you, if you have a favorite show, right, sometimes you'll see a gift from it and like your heart will sink a little if it's like a really sad part um, because you're just remembering what it was like to experience it for the first time. So I think that's part of it. And then another part of it is this idea of the way the clips are spliced, the way the clips are positioned in relation to one another does really, and with this through line of family and cycles, it does just keep kicking stuff up over and over again. Betty specifically, right? If we're listening to these lyrics and we're seeing her thinking about how it runs in the family and how she can't get away and going back to Brenna's point about you can't leave Riverdale, how might this video sort of represent what her psyche looks and feels like at any given moment? It is fragmented, it is messy, it is all over the place, things keep connecting to other things that you might not automatically think happened in that chronological order or like our logical connections, but that's what her brain is doing. I just found it so interesting on a psychological level, so I wanted to bring this in because like, yeah, the girl's been through quite a lot. Um, and when we're looking at these parallel shots, I think in a lot of ways, our lives are not necessarily experienced through a camera at specific angles, but maybe we can look at parallel shots, maybe we can look at use of color as representative of the way that emotions for us can link moments in our lives. I also wanted to talk a little bit about like femininity and performance and like the performative nature of womanhood. Um, because like this video I mean, obviously, like, we're watching actors who are putting on a performance, but this video uses a lot of shots where, like, Betty's looking directly at the camera or, like, it's kind of zooming in or out of her face as well, which makes it feel very directed towards us as a viewer even more so. Um, like, and especially with this song that uses I a lot, like, it really emphasizes this feeling of, like, Betty telling us this story, kind of. Um... And I was thinking about these multiple shots where she's either looking in a mirror and we're seeing her do that or she's looking at us and we're sort of acting as like kind of this other side of the glass. Um, and the performative nature of a lot of things in Riverdale and like the first sort of section is very much like all of these kind of more sexual shots of Betty in the show and it's... Um, there's this part that's like in the song like do what you want because who knows it might fill me up me up me up me up and in this show I feel like a lot of these moments are very performative like a few of them are much more like moments of like her hooking up with another character but like there's a lot that are sort of her putting on a show of this femininity to kind of get what she wants out of a certain situation and like Betty I think is kind of one of the least inherently sexualized like female characters on the show like veronica is much more made out to be sort of like the femme fatale of the show um and like betty's much more like buttoned up like ponytail and then they use these moments that are very juxtaposed with that of like her in the lingerie like putting on putting on a show like literally mm -hmm. and i sent my co-host this tumblr post last night because it's like all i could think about um it's like an old tumblr post that's like me it looks at myself in the mirror margaret atwood appears me oh margaret not again her male fantasies male fantasies me crying you're right you're right you're right <laughs> and i was just thinking about that a lot with like betty in this like the violence is so much more intrinsic to her than like kind of the 
sexual performance stuff, but it's like so much of this pairs her down to like these are her two escapes. Like one is through this sort of the like whore archetype, and one of them is through the like psycho archetype, and I find it so fascinating. Yeah, they're both such like raw permutations of herself. Mm-hmm. In a way that's so interesting because they're almost positioned as opposites, but then you see, like, in one of the episodes I've watched where she's, like, dressed in the lingerie and stuff, and then they're, like, attacking this guy. Yeah, they, like, try and kill that guy in the hot tub. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's, like, the convergence. It's so interesting. Ray, don't worry about it. <laughs> no, it is. Like, they're very linked. I don't know why I made the face I did as though, like, trying to kill someone in a hot tub is even remotely, <laughs> slightly the weirdest thing that's happened on that show. It obviously isn't. Um, but something I am thinking about a bunch, Bren, as you were just talking, is, like, a thing I find really interesting about Riverdale in our discussions of it, and especially with this video, is how you've mentioned that the characters all fit these kind of, like, archetypes or stereotypes, especially because it came from, like, comics where they were literally just, like, kids in high school, where it's, like, you have Archie and he's the jock, and you have Jughead and he's the weirdo, he's weird, he wears a beanie, you he, he's weird come on <laughs> like do you he's see it he wears it every day wow anyway <laughs> love to butcher a riverdale quote but betty's like archetype right is that buttoned up nice girl next door and to see how brutally the show sort of rips that image apart and like the situations it puts her into and again very much highlighted in this fan vid with with violence that she both commits, but also that is enacted upon her. Like, oh my god, I think, I don't want to say it is, like, so much worse for coming from her being, like, the nice girl next door. I think the things that are happening to all of these kids is quite bad. But I think it is more striking. And I think maybe that is part of the reason why this fan vid is so effective is because it takes this, like, nice, pretty image of Betty and just, like, thoroughly destroys it. Yeah. Because I feel like this show very much in season one was, like, Okay, if Betty has this, like, perfect little apple pie suburban life with her perfect little apple pie suburban family, what can we put behind the scenes that would, like, destroy this? And it's like, oh, we could make her dad a serial killer. And they were like, (laughs) what can we do later? And it's like, oh, we could make her worry that she's a serial killer. Mm -hmm. And then she could constantly be having interactions with serial killers throughout the seasons and feeling like she's insane Girl, no. <laughs> oh and then there's also the season where Girl, like help. the cult season but you know that's a sort of a different thing um and then also like her i think you talked about this a little bit in pre-discussion nick but like the other like female relationships that are presented like with her sister and her mom in this video too like their whole family is so messed up because of like this sort of juxtaposition of violence and the expectations of femininity and it's fascinating yeah, so I would highly recommend watching this Riverdale fan vid. Also, if you haven't watched the previous ones we've talked about on the show, I would also highly recommend them. Um, I really enjoy how vidders are able to take context from the show and really pull out the sort of repercussions and underlying themes of it um, that aren't necessarily always visible through the narratives that the writers are telling us. Um, I thought this one was masterfully done, and it's so rewatchable. I feel like each time I notice new little things and draw out more meaning from it. So um, I love Riverdale, and I love the the extra good Riverdale that exists in fan vids. Um, so I was delighted to be able to talk about this today. In Riverdale, Betty tries to suppress her serial killer gene. In A Month of Sundays, Eric tries to repress so many things, but especially his homosexuality. Brenna?
Okay, and last but certainly not least this episode, we're going to be discussing A Month of Sundays by Kelfin. Uh, this is a hockey RPF fic about the Avalanche players Eric Johnson or EJ and Gabriel Landeskog. Um, this was written in 2013, and I definitely have some things to say about where it's positioned and sort of the Avs and hockey RPF fandom narratives, which I think is really interesting. Um, but essentially, this is a story that follows much younger Gabe and EJ than they are presently. Um, and it's it's a getting together story, but it's really a story about EJ figuring himself out and unlearning a lot of repression and um, Catholic guilt. In terms of content warnings for this fic, the big ones I would say are kind of EJ's self-perception of himself, um, the internalized homophobia, the external homophobia from his family, um, and his struggles with his uh, religion and sort of his family's how they practice their religion as well as like the church they attend. I also think if you are sensitive to portrayals of what could be construed as disordered eating or like very, very intense restrictions around food that does come up a little bit in this story, um, Eric and the people around him have thoughts and feelings about what is and is not okay to eat or good to eat. Um, so that's a minor part of the story, but it did ping in the back of my head as I was reading as well. I probably read this story when I was first getting into hockey fandom, maybe around like 2016, um, as I started to become aware of like the Colorado Avalanche as a team. Um, this was sort of before I feel like they took off in the fan fiction world and a lot of people like moved over to Avs fandom and started writing about them. Um, this fic certainly was written before that. Um, so this centers on EJ, who was a first round overall draft pick um, and got drafted by the St. Louis Blues. He then fucked up his knee really badly in a like golf cart accident, um, was basically written off as someone who was always going to underperform after that and was traded to the Colorado Avalanche, where he's continued to be for the rest of his ongoing career. Um, as a side note, the Avs did win the Stanley Cup last year, and Reed and I have a lot of feelings about it. Um, <laughs> this is my first time rereading this fic in... In a long time. Um, I think the EJ of this fic is very different than the EJ you might encounter in media or uh, like on Twitter these days, especially if you're a current Avs fan. So I will just put that out there. So you, it's not like a, a jump scare when you're like, <laughs> this guy seems really different, which I think has contributed to for a few factors that we'll get into in a little bit. Um, but yeah, this basically explores him kind of coming to terms with himself and his performance on ice, like his feelings about himself, his relationship with Gabe, his relationship with his family and religion. Um, he's really going through it in this fic, uh, as as many boys do in the sports RPF that we bring onto this pod. <laughs> um, so I have a lot to say about this, but before I do, co-hosts, what were your experiences? I also read this fic for the first time, probably like a few months after Brenna. <laughs> I like met Brenna and Brenna was like read this and back then I, I was just reading everything Brenna told me to read it was one of my talents <laughs> this one now you're switch. doing the same thing again through this podcast mm -hmm. yes that's so true um also I feel like she less often is like read this uh in part because she knows I'm just mucking through tags like a clown <laughs> on my own out in the world um but yes I loved it then I really enjoyed my reread of it um, I think that the themes that this fic looks at are handled not only like carefully and gracefully, but also so authentically in such a real way. 
Um, I really appreciated this kind of deep dive into a very specific American subculture that I personally don't have a ton of direct experience with, but in terms of like Christianity and homophobia, I grew up in an area that a lot of that was sort of just around, if not in my own family. So it was interesting to get into this and to get to kind of, I don't know, like experience and process through some of that in a way through the story. That's kind of nice. Um, I think it's well written. I think it is well paced. Um, I think that the relationship between our main pairing is interesting, and I like how much it is and is not center stage in this story. It's so much Eric's story of like growth and change and knowing himself and knowing his family. Um, and then we also get a little kind of growth arc for Gabe as well that I thought was really interesting, kind of out of the corner of our eyes. So really, really, really great story. I'm excited to talk more about it. And it's always fun to get to do something a little longer. Uh, I feel like I, when we're often dining, perhaps like fast casual on the podcast, this time we got to like go sit down in a restaurant. <laughs> and I, I mean, it's like 67,000 words, I think. So it's not that much longer than our usual max of 50k, but longer enough that it was fun to get to sit with the story for a bit longer than usual. Yes, I first read this fan fiction relatively shortly after Brenna got me into hockey fandom and the abs. Um, so probably like summer 2018-ish in there. Um, and I have not reread it since, so it was very fun to return to because I didn't remember a whole lot of the specifics. Um, and oh boy, did they still wallop me over the head. <laughs> I, yeah, listen, I talked about this in my birthday episode. For better or for worse, I do have I do still have many feelings about the hockey boys and the Colorado Avalanche, you know, I just have many feelings about Eric Johnson and the fact that he was going to retire and decided to stick it out for one more year. And then the abs won the cup. And then there were all those videos of him and Gabe being the last people on the ice after everyone had left. And it was just the two of them circling like over and over. And Eric just like looking out into the empty stands. And then in Gabe left. So then it was just EJ and everyone was like, oh my God, he's going to retire because he won the cup finally. And then he didn't retire. Kind of baffling, to be honest. Um, but you know, it sometimes it really just gets you emotional. Um, something I found so interesting about this, as you were saying, Bren, is like this EJ might not necessarily be like the quote unquote EJ we know now. That's like heavy on the quotes. We do not know this man at all. But maybe like the um, popular fandom characterizations of him now. Mm -hmm. His and like what he puts of himself on the limited amount of social media he uses and stuff. Yes. When we're Which talking like, RPF, we're always talking Persona, right? I think yeah, that's absolutely. Um, and I think especially so for hockey. But <laughs> um, EJ Gabe is a ship that I know Brenna and I and some of our friends really enjoy and was absolutely like not the popular one, even after some of the more popular players left or got traded or whatever. It never really took off in a way that was like kind of sad, honestly. It's a, it's a good ship. Um, but this was such an interesting iteration of it because like, they're babies. Like, Gabe just became captain in this fake. He's 19 turning 20. That's bonkers. That's so different than the Gabe of most of the fake that I was reading in 2018. Um, so that was really interesting, I think, to see this particular iteration of EJ and, like, where the abs were at. And also, I think something that is fairly common in hockey fic, especially the ones that the three of us were reading, is authors really love to do a lot of research, I feel, and, like, root stories in, like, I canon feels like they're like real life, like things that we actually know. So if you're writing about a game, like an author will usually reference a lot of very specific things that did happen in the game that we all watched. Um, and something I found so interesting about this fic is that it was like, there's not a whole lot of hockey happening in it because it centers around the NHL lockout that happened in 2012 to 2013, um, which 
is an interesting choice for a hockey fic to have very little hockey actually happening in it. But also I think it makes sense because if this is the kind of story you want to tell where EJ is going on a really intense personal journey, um, and like especially a journey with his family, you need to have a reason why he would be around his family for so long and not be in Denver training. Um, so I think that's, I, yeah, I don't know. I have some thoughts there as well, I think, about centering this fic around the lockout or maybe like the other way around that like the lockout happening sort of gave way for this author to be able to write this fic. Yeah, I want to talk about a little bit about the sort of concept of persona here. Like we mentioned, like Nick mentioned that um, when we're talking about RPF, we're always talking about persona and like invented persona and like especially with hockey or any sports RPF, I think, um, just because there's so little of them that we actually get as fans, um, especially compared to like we get a lot more from like fandom type stuff or um, anything like that where they're just like in the media and like online a whole lot more than like most athletes are. Uh, but this fic, I, yeah, I want to talk about it in kind of two ways. On the one hand, I think it's a really interesting look at kind of how the persona is created in fandom and in fan fiction like this fic kind of in my perception exists in a little bit of a bubble like i wasn't in hockey fandom in 2013 so i can't speak to it 100 percent. but when i did get into hockey fandom and when i got into avs fandom like one this was not a big ship like this was the only fic recommended to me for these two um at that time i mean i think kind of still and uh although i haven't i haven't read in the last couple years much um but also like the as fandom just like wasn't that big at this time i think it really took off a little bit later on honestly after a bunch of pens fans were like we don't really want to be pens fans anymore like let's be abs fans instead like <laughs> a lot of my abs fans friends were previously pens fans who kind of moved over and like a lot of the people writing for them i know that that was their trajectory um so this feels like it kind of exists in a bubble where like there wasn't a whole lot of fan fiction about these people so like this author Kelfin just gets to make up how they want to write Gabe and EJ um and it's I think for a lot of times RPF is very much like okay one fit kind of blows up and then that version of the two characters or a character kind of gets emulated again and again because people really like it and gravitate towards it and it's interesting to kind of see one that's just kind of off in its own little world like I think this one is a bit um and then two, like a lot of this fic revolves around EJ's conception of his persona, like and what he's putting out to the world, what he views internally and like how those two things for him really don't feel like they line up and he feels like he's constantly faking it. Um, and he doesn't even really think he's like faking it till he makes it. He just is kind of like, I'm going to fake it forever because like I messed up inside and I don't actually want to look at that or do anything about it but I also don't want anyone outside of me to know about it. So I'm just going to pretend eternally and feel rotten. <laughs> mm -hmm. And What's that's wrong? a lot of what this fic is about. So I just think it's interesting to kind of look at the sort of meta aspect of like Kelfin creating the persona of these characters when EJ in this fic, so much of his character revolves around the concept of persona. Totally. And I think one thing that's so interesting is not only, I mean, like this fic really is, one of the the poster children of why hockey fandom is so good for internalized homophobia, because I think it's just really well done and like real. Um, but I think a, a lesser, not lesser, a smaller aspect of this fic that I have thought about a lot on my reread is that we, 
almost at no point get any indication that Eric is like excited to be an athlete professionally. <laughs> There's multiple times where he's like, why am I still doing this? And he's like, well, I'm just going to keep doing it. Like, what else am I going to do? It's very sad. And it also was interesting. I mean, it brings to mind, I'll, I'll jump into the fic a little bit here, a conversation he has with his mom, um, Peg, Peggy, presumably. Uh, we don't learn her name until way later. Um, but they have this conversation fairly early on when Eric has first gone back home to stay with his family, where she basically is like, not everyone gets to be happy. Like, sometimes the thing you want is not happiness, it's just peace. And you can tell she's talking about herself 100%, right? Um Eric asks, are you happy? And she says, happy enough. And that ends the conversation and the scene. And it feels so emblematic of this, like, smallness, this sort of contained nature of a life that you can live with, and how that feels like the most that he can possibly ask for. And we see him break through that in a lot of ways throughout the fic. We never see it really happen professionally. We see it happen in his personal life, in his romantic life. But that felt like such a great moment of thematic resonance in this story like if you had if i had to slice just one little section that is a contender uh for like what does this fic feel like to read because it is this sadness <laughs> every time i say like to read I, my brain is like wow this is how read enjoyed this fic <laughs> <laughs> i mean that was a um, banger you know of a scene <laughs> it was a banger um but yeah like what it feels like to just accept what you've been given as your law in life and to have that line up with a lot of his religious ideals, there is a sadness to it. And the sadness feels like it has to be part of his life because that's how he was raised and that's how his family lives. And that's what the expectations are. It's so interesting. And the fact that being an athlete actually kind of is his way out because it's the reason he got out of that like town and his family situation. I'm fraying. I'm losing it, everybody. My gourd is so sad and small and <laughs> rotting in the corner because I never brought it to the light. Like Megatron Underground. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. It's oh. just really good. Nick, that scene, I'm so glad you brought up that scene um, because obviously it made me also deeply upset. Um, and uh, to backtrack and then to get back to it, but EJ's relationship with Gabe throughout this fic is fascinating because um, EJ spends the first part of this fic being like, uh, oh, he knows that Gabe has a crush on him and he is so cool and progressive because he's not even weirding out about it. He's not even uh -huh. homophobic like the rest of the people. And in fact, like, he's so not homophobic, he's going to think about how cool it would be to, like, tackle Gabe to the ground and, like, mess up his hair and and actually, never mind. Um, and that's a lot of EJ's narration. But then they, they, like, kind of keep hooking up isn't even exactly right. They keep, like, making out mostly on EJ's initiation. And then EJ will pull back and be like, I can't do this. And Gabe's like, what? in the fuck are we doing here and ej's like mm, great question i'll get back to you and then he like doesn't for a very long time um and there's a bit sort of towards the end ish middle end where ej is thinking like he shouldn't go through with this in addition to all of his like self-flagellation he's like he shouldn't go through with this because gabe deserves better because gabe could get to be happy ej doesn't but like gabe deserves a boyfriend who's like proud about having a boyfriend like and there's a line specifically that's like oh but and if people find out like it could be a PR problem. They could lose their jobs and, like, whatever for EJ. He's already fucked his career, but <sighs> Gabe's good at hockey. Like, Gabe hasn't had his whole life fucked up yet, so, like, why would EJ ruin it? And then fairly shortly after that, when EJ finally is, like, really coming to terms with things and, like, finally having a real conversation with Gabe, um, and Gabe's like, are you choosing this? Like, what do you want? EJ says, I really want to be happy. This would make me happy. Would it make you happy? 
And Gabe says, I hope so. I think so. I want it to. And I was like, after EJ's mom said, maybe you're just one of those people who don't deserve or like don't get to be happy. Yeah. Ah! yeah it's so well. matter of fact. And then he finally starts to realize that these don't have to be facts. Just like the the feeling of it, like the wanting of Gabe can be enough. Like he doesn't have to justify it or jump through all of these hoops about like, is it good or moral or is it the best thing for Gabe? Like he can just sort of want it. And if Gabe wants it too, then like maybe that's okay. Wild. A wild revelation for Eric. And like, even though this fic is fairly long and gives you a lot to chew on as a reader, like EJ's worked through a lot of his shit by the end, but like by no means all of it. And it still feels like this very tentative coming together of him and Gabe and this very tentative letting go of some of the like internalized hatred that he has and like the things that he believes about his religion in particular. Like, you know, he's like, okay, I want happiness, but we don't ever really like EJ, are you have you let go of the concept that you're going to hell because of this? I'm not sure as a reader, you know? Like there's still a lot of things that this guy is gonna need to work through. And like we hope for a happy ending for him. But something I really appreciate, and this this is a spoiler for the end of it, but like in the fic, Gabe has a very obviously supportive family. And um, you know, I think he's very aware that he can't be like out and open in hockey without it causing a lot of problems but he definitely seems out and open to his family and like he does come out to a couple of the players on the team throughout the duration of this fic um matt duchene (laughs) (laughs) matt duchene (laughs) literally the fact that matt duchene is also so fucking unlikable in this fic written in 2013 feels like karmic justice Everyone hates <sighs> Matt Duchesne. Okay, everyone Marina. does hate <laughs> Matt Duchesne. Shout out to him being traded, and five years later, still getting booed in the Av Stadium. You yeah, honestly love to see huge it. Huge mood. Um, <laughs> Sorry, continue. <laughs> yeah, but um, um, and so like, especially towards the end, he's like Eric. Like, it's clear that even though your family might have some different beliefs, like. They love you. Like, maybe this will be the catalyst for them sort of realizing some of their problems. Like, oftentimes people are, like, very hateful or, like, not understanding of a thing until it, like, affects them, which is a true thing. Like, I'm, like, that is definitely the way the world sometimes works. But, um, EJ, like, comes out first to his brother-in-law and, like, nothing really goes wrong or even, like, happens about it. They just, like, don't really talk about it, but nothing, like, blows up in EJ's face. And later on, he comes out to his sister and it doesn't really go well. They don't, like, get into, like, a huge screaming match or anything, but she's just not accepting of it. Um, And very much, like, don't bring this around my children. Like, do whatever you're gonna do, but, like, I- it has no place here. And, like, Gabe overhears this and is like, oh, shit. And I really liked narratively that it didn't go well. Like, I mean, I'm sad for EJ, of course, but, like, I feel like it's often too easy in fix and in, like, published literature, like, romance literature. But, like, when it's like, oh, yeah, this person was just too stubborn and their family does love them and they will become less homophobic. Like, that's not the reality for a whole lot of people. And... I think it was really important for Gabe and EJ to be able to kind of come together on even footing for Gabe to realize like why EJ feels a certain way about these things and that he is trying to like unlearn some of his own self-hatred and like self-deprecation, but that like it is very much rooted in the family that he was raised and that he's continuing to live in the community that he's in. Like it's not just like, oh, Eric, 
will you believe in this silly thing? It's Gabe really, I think, begins to understand how deep this runs and like how ingrained it is in the people in Eric's life. And like, I appreciate that at the end, they're sort of tentative coming together and like kind of agreement to continue this relationship was on this more even footing of like understanding each other in this way and like understanding each other's past and like upbringing. Yeah, it's a cultural difference, right? I think Gabe is coming into it with this perspective of, like, if somebody really loves you, then they will be able to come to terms with and understand and accept this. And he doesn't understand how the love can exist at the same time as this, like, really hateful belief um, that the person individually doesn't really believe is hateful. Um, and so getting, like, for him seeing that firsthand feels like such a moment. And I want to note, too, that that scene of Eric talking to his sister is the second to last scene of the entire story. So we get the whole story up to that point of Eric being like, well, you know, maybe I am ready to come out and watch everything blow up in my face. And Gabe is like, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, like, we'll figure it out. It'll be bad at first, but it'll be fine. And then towards the very end, and I think it was such a smart choice to put it there because it's not a thing that can be resolved. Like, it, it is a thing. Eric, as a POV, is almost a very kind POV to receive this in because he was expecting it and he has some kind of like defenses against it because he wasn't hoping or expecting for anything different. In fact, he, the first thing he says to Gabe when Gabe is like, did that just happen? Is like, that went pretty well. <laughs> While Gabe is like shattered. And so, I don't know, I just thought it was so smart to place it where it was placed as well. The absolute like knife devastation of the fact that you get a lot of this fic is EJ being very close with and really adoring his niece, Emma, and then what his sister says to him, I think almost directly, is like, don't let my kids think that kind of thing is okay. And I also like, I don't want to be like, I liked that choice so much. Like, obviously, this is horrible. It's horrible to read. But I did like that so much more, I think, than a blow up, because that felt really real. As you were saying, Nick, that sort of holding together of both love and a hateful belief that someone doesn't believe is hateful. Like, I am sure in this fic, like, Jen, uh, EJ's sister, doesn't think she's saying a super hateful thing by saying, like, don't let my kids think it's okay, even though that is, like, a really horrible and cruel thing to hear. I don't know. I I just, like, I thought that scene was done so well. Yeah, in fact, you're pretty sure as a reader that Jen thinks she's being compassionate in that moment and that she's showing, like, She's like, I'm cool. Look how cool I'm being. Yeah, this. and there's like, like it kind of matches up with EJ at the beginning being like, I'm cool about this stuff. Like, bro, you are not. <laughs> and then also like an earlier scene where Jen's kids, Emma and Jacob, are like overhearing a conversation between their mom, Jen, and like their grandma about the stuff at the church. And one of them's like, oh, maybe you could just like share. And they're like, what do you mean? And they're like, oh, compromise. And Jen's like, there's some things that you can't compromise on. And I feel like that's really echoed in this conversation with EJ. Um, Also for like writing an OC family, this one was like so grounded and realistic. And like, there's a comment in like the end notes from this author. um, I'm just going to read it to you verbatim. But it says, I read down by the Brazos and I said to Ion the Sparrow, I love this story. And she said, you should write a story about your own family and where you come from. So I did. And you can really feel that. Like, I don't know how much of this is directly, like, taken from Kelfin's experiences or how much of it is just sort of like a general vibe of their childhood. But, like, it feels so grounded and realistic in terms of this little community and this church and everything that goes on there. And, like... It's so impactful um, because of that. Like, that's something that I love about RPF sometimes is how grounded it can feel for me. And, like, 
I think it's a combination of both like inherently being set in real life and then also like the space that a lot of authors have to play and put in their own lived experiences sort of on top of these characters that they're inventing. Um, This one just like kind of mushes that all up really, really effectively. I mean, I'm thinking about Worldwide Lonesome and how the (laughs) author's note, yeah, sorry, (laughs) and how the author's note at the end there, which in case you didn't listen to that discussion or don't know that fic, it is a K-pop RPF largely about coming out also and sort of dealing with that. And that author's end note is horrifically devastating, but it essentially says like, I wrote this fic sort of based off of my own life and my experiences. And if you feel seen in this fic, like know that I I see you and like I'm with you there. Um, And I think that feels really mirrored in this fic as well by the fact that the author directly said like, yeah, I I base this off of at least in part experiences that are real and true to me like that. I just think that really, really comes through in fic. And like you said, Bren, I think it hits especially hard in RPF. I also think for me, and this has been the case with this particular fandom and many others, there are some stories that I just trust fic authors more on, and maybe I shouldn't, because fandom is not like a little utopia where everything is good all the time and there's no other issues that we see in the world or in published fiction. But there feels like such a trust that I have that somebody who is telling a story this raw that's not going through a bunch of different, like, I don't know, filters, you could say, through editing and marketing and such, who's not worried about whether the thing will sell or not. Like that particular angle to me always feels really special in a lot of the stories that I felt most connected to around queerness and like my own queer identity and characters' queer identities have been through fic. Um, So I just wanted to shout that out because it feels like one reason why I just really enjoyed this one. So that was our exploration of A Month of Sundays by Kelfin, um, a really well thought out and compassionate portrayal of someone struggling with their religion and sexual identity and coming out um, all through the lens of two hockey players. Um, if you are a fan of hockey RPF or RPF in general or queer stories, like I would definitely recommend this one to you. Um, I think it's beautifully executed. Thank you so much for listening to this very special birthday episode of FitClick. If you liked it and you would like to find us other places and consume more FitClick content, um, you could always listen to a backlog of our episodes or you could um, bask in our wonderful and definitely super active social media presence by following us on Twitter at FitClick. You can also join our Discord, which is linked on our Twitter. It is a absolutely wonderful community. If you would like to tell friend and guest of the pod, Avery, how well they did, you can do that in the server. You can at them and say, hey, you had so many good thoughts because they really did. And if you would like to send us a formal letter just really talking about how much you love the podcast and us, your perfect hosts, you could do that in an email. Uh, you could email us at fitclickpod at gmail.com. Lots of ways to get in touch. Yes, if you would like to support us, or maybe more specifically Brenna financially, uh, you can always, I guess all of us, but it's her birthday, so if you're like partial to Brenna, maybe this is a good one to donate on. Uh, we have a ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash fitclick, where you can just donate directly to the show to help us cover operating costs, basically, and then any potential future growth that we're able to do. Uh, you can also get merch, so if you would like to receive some cool stuff, we've got stickers, we've got notebooks i think and mugs and hats and such so you can check those out on our red bubble which is linked on our twitter 
If you'd like to show your support of us widely, you can leave us a review um, on a podcast hosting site of your choice that allows them. Um, We'd love to hear from you that way. You can also recommend us word of mouth. Um, We've learned statistically that that's a big way for us to grow. So if you'd like to share any particular episodes you loved um, or just hype up FitClick somewhere to people that you love or care about, we would really appreciate that from you. Now that we've finished celebrating Brenna, it's time. Well, I guess we never finish celebrating Brenna, but we finished her birthday episode. Um, next episode is my birthday because it never changes. Brenna and I continue <laughs> to be born about two weeks apart. <laughs> so you can hear my picks on January 20th. Hello, Ficklets. It's me, Editing Reed. Due to timing and schedules and tech reasons, I'm going to be the one giving you Nick's birthday picks, which is very exciting because I have not read any of them, so I do not know anything about them, but I'm excited to pitch them to you regardless. I did ask Nick if they had any message they wanted me to pass along to the Ficklets while I was recording this, and they said, Tell them my birthday is an international holiday and they don't have to work the day it comes out. So you can look forward to that, as well as Nick's great picks. The first fic they're bringing is Like the Stars Right Here, Director's Cut by Unconscious. It is for the K-pop group Stray Kids. The pairing is Chan Felix, and also it looks like some other side pairings as well. I'm not sure how prominent they are. Um, The only thing I know about this fic is that it's upsetting, which it feels very on brand for Nick. And much like this episode where we had a friend come on to guest and talk about a specific fic, um, Nick is bringing in friend of the pod Kate, aka Noonwitch, to talk about this Chanlix with us. So that is very exciting. The next fic they're bringing is Hunters Seeking Solid Ground by Attila. It's for the fandom The Untamed, and the pairing is, of course, Langwanji Weiwuxian. And according to the tags, it's canon compliant, which we love a canon compliant fic around here. And the last pick is Meditations. There are a few creators on this one. It was made for Pod Together 2022. So the creators for this work are Chantress, Greedy Dancer, Jet Pods, Lena Lollipop, and The Lord of La Mancha. It is for the fandom Witcher, which seems out of left field, but you know what? For Nick, I feel like that just circles back around to being on brand. Um, And there are no pairings. Uh, It is just tagged for characters. In this case, Geralt, Eskel, Lambert, and Vesemir. So you can look forward to, I'm sure, bangers of picks all around um, for Nick's birthday episode coming out on January 20th. Autobots, roll out! Okay, thanks, Ficklets. I'm gonna go turn into a jet plane. Bye! Okay, Ficklets, I'm gonna go become a motorcycle, but I wanna be one of the cool ones from, like, Tron that's, like, neon and light up and kind of futuristic. That's my kind of transformer. Bye! All right, Ficklets, I'm gonna go transform into, like, a 1997 Toyota Corolla that still has a CD player. Okay, bye! (laughs) Okay, Ficklets, I wanna become, like, a really eco-friendly train. A high-speed rail train that you can join me on, and we'll go through the snow and drink hot chocolate. Bye! This is making me look bad. (laughs) 